Hello, I'm Becky Hadid, host of The Storied Recipe. As my weekly guests share their stories through the vessel of cherished food memories, we all become better cooks, more grateful for the gift of food, and we honor those that have loved us through their cooking. If you've ever taken a photo of your food and posted it on Instagram, you've probably heard of Eva Cosmas Flores, a hugely popular food photographer, food photography educator, blogger, and cookbook author. Before that one weekend, where Eva gained 30,000 followers and was catapulted into Instagram fame, she was already poised for success. Eva had chosen to rest her business and her life, really, on a genuine kindness to all, also on authenticity, passion, and curiosity. Eva had cultivated creativity and that special type of adventurous spirit it takes to shoot for lofty goals. And to get everything done, Eva knew how to stay organized and efficient. To be so ambitious and yet so kind, so creative while also systemized is a very rare combination of traits. And Eva teaches these in her classes and creative workshops. But the question I wanted to know is how did she gain these values and talents? Through her story, of course, which I was honored to hear and explore, and I'm so honored to share with you today. See, the thing is, it wasn't that weekend that made Eva. It was her openness to learn from every step of her journey, from a child in her parents' Greek deli, to an out-of-work 20-something, fired for finally standing up for herself, to an assistant producer for a major network. As you listen to Eva's story, you can't help but shift your perspective from what's wrong with your situation to what you can learn from it. And of course, how you can show kindness to others. Hello. Hey. (laughs) How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing good. So it was funny when we just, when we started to communicate, I think that it was just a couple days beforehand that I had read. Is it B? Is yeah, it Lubis? B. B? Lubis. Yeah, Lubis. Okay. And you guys are real good friends. Yeah. She's one of my closest friends. She's so wonderful. I love her. <laughs> mm, you guys have done a lot of workshops together. Yeah. We've done a lot of workshops together. Gosh, our first workshop together was in London. It was just a one day, like maybe four. Five, four or five years ago. And then mm. we've done our Croatia workshops together for like the past like four years, which are more long, like five day workshops. And those are super fun. Mm. It seems like it must take so much of a load off to do it with someone else. It really does. It's so helpful just in terms of the weight of trying to remember everything. Like you mm-hmm. get to share that mental load with somebody and mm-hmm. with teaching, you know, when you're working with a group of students, there's always going to be someone who needs a little extra help. And it's so nice to have one of us be able to kind of branch off and help that person while the other continues teaching everyone else that's there that's like ready to keep going. Mm. So it's just so helpful for like the teaching environment and also just getting a different perspective on stuff is so Mm -hmm. helpful for the students because, you know, B and I shoot really differently. So she like shoots tethered and I don't, and you know, there's all sorts of stuff. So I think it's helpful for people to see that, you know, there's not like only one way to like take good photos. It's like, you can approach it from so many different angles and still end up with an amazing image. And that's totally okay. I think both of those are such good points. One, it completely enables you to make this a truly personal class. Everyone can have the opportunity to have one-on-one attention and go at their own pace because of it. And then yes, it's so valuable to see that there is not just one way. 
Yeah, that's super fun. Well, hopefully you guys will be back to them very soon. What we're doing instead is a virtual workshop now where we pretty much kind of try to bring that workshop experience, all mm-hmm. the benefits of an in-person workshop to mm-hmm. an online platform. So mm-hmm. lots of live Q&A session discussions together. And then we recorded kind of like fly on the wall from start to finish how we set up a shoot and also take photos. And, yeah. you know, because that's such an interesting part of workshops too, is like seeing how someone worked from the beginning to the end. Yeah. In fact, sometimes the reels that show the styling, they kind of get to me a little bit because it's like you just kind of lay everything down and it happened magically. And I like the reels that show a little bit more. There's a lot of adjusting and maybe it's this, maybe it's that. Yes. Because when it's all sped up, it's like you don't see the time that you're like taking shots and then staring at it for like 30 seconds and then putting your hand back in and like moving one little thing and then taking more shots and like looking at them again, because that's like the reality of the process. Right. And I think, you know, when you start a shoot and it takes me at least a while to warm up into it. And so when you Mm -hmm. start a shoot and it's taking a long time, if you don't know that it takes everyone a long time, or at least it did when they started, you start to feel like you lack talent or you lack skill. Definitely, I think it's so encouraging to see, like you said, someone start, someone who's the best start from the very beginning. Actually, someone said to me once, uh, so actually I was a wedding photographer and that's where my training came from. And a wedding photography teacher, I loved this. She said, photography is all problem solving. Yeah. I loved that. Yes. Right. Because it took it from the realm of you have to have this like stroke of genius and into you just solve one problem after another. That really, (laughs) really appealed to me. (laughs) And it's so accurate because, you know, and I try to talk about this with my students is it's like, I never style the scene. And then I'm like, oh, it's perfect. Now I'll just take Mm. all my photos. You're always going back and adjusting constantly, whether Mm. I'm like shooting and I'm like adjusting my camera settings or if I'm styling, like there's never a one and done, right? You're Mm. always going back and making adjustments. It is like always, like you said, solving a problem. It's a process. It's not Mm. like, you know, a problem and an answer and at the end of the the equation Mm. there. Mm. Well, good for you. And I appreciate that you're so authentic and so vulnerable that you're able to open yourself up like that. (laughs) um, (laughs) It's really kind of where I want to start with this. So going back to B's book, I had just read it maybe, like I said, about two or three days before we started interacting. And I was very curious to read the interview with you because I think probably like many of us in the food photography world, you were one of the first people that I came across. And of course, I just started to devour your content immediately. And (laughs) (laughs) Really, within like several days of opening a food Instagram account, I had downloaded your presets. (laughs) Oh, yay. (laughs) (laughs) Which I still I still use as the basis for my edits. It's only it's only a couple really that I kind of toggle between and I just love them. Oh, so as I read her book, I was especially curious to read her interview with you. And a couple things stood out to me about it. For one, you focused on the business aspect, which is interesting in and of itself because people that are highly creative are not often also the best business women. So I liked that you talked about business, but what I especially liked is that you took this angle on talking about your business and how you had found so much success that I think is really rare. And you talked about two things, one, systemizing everything, and two, you talked about being kind. In fact, I would say that was the main 
thrust of what you wrote for B is that you were just encouraging people if they were trying to build a business to build it based on kindness, which is amazing, Eva. (laughs) Thanks. Did it take you a while to figure out what you wanted to say to her? Not really, because I knew B, you know, she's so amazing. I knew she would Mm -hmm. cover like the ins and outs of literally like everything with styling and photography and Lightroom and all that. So I was like, well, what else could I talk about that maybe, you know, isn't like a normal part of that process. So Mm -hmm. I think the business thing is something that a lot of people have as like an afterthought once they start doing it. It's like, oh yeah, I need to like figure out how to monetize and like be on top of my finances Mm -hmm. and, you know, (laughs) just be organized and do admin stuff. That's not fun, but Mm -hmm. you know, it needs to be done. And so I did want to talk about that. And then just like, I think kindness is so important in terms of just kind of putting out into the world what you want to receive back. And Mm -hmm. I would say like, for me, my mom is the most kind person I've ever met. She's Mm -hmm. so warm and bubbly and sweet. And so, you know, my parents had a Greek deli growing up and Mm -hmm. she always worked at the front counter because she's like a super duper extrovert. And so, yeah, she would always be like taking customers orders and like chatting everybody up and just like a total, you know, social butterfly. Yeah. But the thing that I really loved and that I think like looking back was such a a really good example for me as a kid was she was nice to everybody, no matter Mm. if they, you know, if we had, we were also in like kind of a rough neighborhood. So, Mm. you know, we'd have people come in that maybe were on drugs or like homeless Mm. or, you know, just like youth that might be, you know, kind of floating around and stuff. And like, regardless of who she was talking to, whether it was like a regular customer or someone new, Mm. she treated everybody the same And it was just super warm and like fun and silly and welcoming. And, Mm. you know, it just was such a great example for me as a kid to see that. Yeah. So I think that just kind of came naturally to me because that's Mm. just what I grew up with. Mm -hmm. It was like being mean wasn't an option, you know, Mm -hmm. but later in life, as I got into some other, my first kind of industry, the job I thought I really wanted in the entertainment industry, I saw that a lot of people didn't approach life that way. And it was funny because seeing the level of like cruelty or unnecessary meanness or cattiness and like all that play out in a work setting, Mm -hmm. it was really shocking, but also interesting because me personally, if I'm being treated that way, I really don't want to work very hard for that person. Like I I don't care. I'm checking out, you know? Whereas like if someone's treating me well and I feel valued, you know, like one of my bosses that I did have in the industry, Pam, um, she was an executive at NBC Mm -hmm. Universal. And so I was her like admin assistant for a while, like her secretary basically. Mm -hmm. Um, And she was like the nicest boss I've ever had. Mm -hmm. And literally every time I did anything correctly, she was like, I so appreciate you. Mm -hmm. Like, thank you so much for doing this. Like, Mm -hmm. oh gosh, you're just the best. And it made me want to work so hard because I knew that she was actually paying attention and cared. Mm -hmm. So I just think like all those experiences really informed me wanting to continue to just be kind. And Mm -hmm. really, I mean, it's so simple. It's just like, how would I want to be treated if I was in that situation? Also, like, what would make me feel extra special and like extra cared for? Like, you know, when I do course updates, Mm -hmm. I don't ask my students to like pay to upgrade. I just Mm -hmm. grandfather them in because Mm -hmm. I just feel like 
that's what I would want, you know, yes. if it was me. Mm-hmm. Um, and that would make me feel like really, really good. So, mm. you know, I feel like it's, it's just something that I was raised with, but also something that has just kind of been <laughs> reiterated as mm-hmm. I've gone through working in different environments yeah. And, yeah. and all that. So I think it's really interesting because you've kind of raised two reasons to be kind. And one is because it is the right thing to do. That's what you saw in your mom, that she treated everyone equally because she was a loving and kind person and she taught you to be that way. And then there is also (laughs) the fact that, you know, thank God we live in this world where being kind does pay you know? And so, and, and, and it's interesting because I think what happens sometimes is that because being kind does pay, I think that sometimes kindness can turn into a kind of insincere, almost technique. And yes, and it's maybe kindness only applied to certain strategic people. Like which marketing is, strategies and stuff. Correct, correct. Yeah, which is exactly. actually not kindness at all. Yeah, it's, it's just self-serving. At that ex- point. Exactly. And so <gasps> I do see your mother in you. She must be so proud of you, Eva, because <laughs> she really must be. Because I do, I do believe personally from my interactions with you that your kindness is very authentic. It does apply to all. Certainly it applied to me. You've shown a lot of graciousness and kindness to (laughs) me. (laughs) And uh, thank you. Thank you. And like you said, you're willing to adjust your bottom dollar. So yeah, I just want to applaud you on that. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, Eva, I really, I really do mean it because yeah, I've seen it go the other way. Let's just put it that way. As I've gotten to know you just a little bit, I find your kindness to be so authentic and so sincere and sincerity is probably, that's probably one of my highest life values. I highly, highly value sincere people. I love that. Yeah, I'd actually prefer a sincere, mean person than a fake, nice person. <laughs> yeah, actually, because at least you know what to expect and you know what you're getting yeah. into. <laughs> yes, exactly. So, um, so I think that that is amazing of your mom. And like I said, I'm sure you are a credit to her. But I do want to talk about the the kind of business sense type of being kind. And I would love for you to share more about the story because (laughs) oddly enough, it was actually unkindness that started you on this path to photography, which is amazing. It does show that so much (laughs) good can come from bad, but I still think it's an important story. Do you mind sharing that? Yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. So I graduated from college in 2009 at the height of the recession. Mm. And so I was unemployed and that's when I started my blog. So I was like, well, I have all this time and I'm cooking for all my friends and they're asking for recipes. So I'll just start putting them online. So I don't have to like write them out. Mm. Um, And so my first job that I was able to get, even though I had like been studying for four years at university (laughs) was a receptionist at a plastic surgeon's office in Beverly Hills. (laughs) So I was like, well, this is the job I can get. You know, I want to start paying my rent and Mm. I'm going to take it. Um, And that was the most toxic environment I've ever worked in. Mm. The the doctor was like pretty hands off of the admin side as, you know, doctors tend to do, but there was Mm. an office manager and she was 
probably the only like true sociopath I've ever met. Where really? She, yeah, she would like she wanted to look really good in the doctor's eyes, so she would like okay. try to sabotage things that you were doing so that she could go to him and be like, "They did this wrong, but like here's how I fixed it." And that would okay. happen all the time. Like okay. it was it was insane. And so mm. it was just every day it was like, oh my God, like what, you know, stuff is she going to try to do now? Or like, mm. why is she going to criticize me today? It was just really awful. Mm. You know, and if you're thinking like, oh, Beverly Hills, like the clients were probably mean, like the patients were great. It was really mm. just her. Mm -hmm. She was just a nightmare. And it was me and this other gal at the reception. And she was like that to both of us. And we were both just, I felt bad because the other gal had been there for longer than me. So mm -hmm. she was kind of conditioned at that point and felt mm. like it was pretty normal. And I was just like, this is not normal. <laughs> like this mm -hmm. woman is horrible. Yeah. And so that was really terrible. That was yeah. my first really bad experience and probably the worst I've ever had. And then I was able to like leave that job. I got into the page program at NBC yeah. Universal. And so I started working through there. And then I had Pam, the boss that I mentioned earlier, who's like the nicest person ever. Mm. And then from there, I ended up getting onto a show. So I left that job and started working on a sitcom. Mm -hmm. um, now in between though... Yeah. That's what kind of turned out to be this amazing gift, right? Because you ended up being fired because you stood up for yourself, right? Yeah, I was do fired. You, do you remember <laughs> do you remember that day? Yeah, it was gosh, I'm trying to remember now like what the it was over some sort of a some sort of weird file thing uh -huh. where she had done something and like refused to admit that it was a mistake that she made uh -huh. like one of those things like that had happened time and time again it was just like no like this is what actually happened yeah and then I got called into her office like the next day and she's like I just don't think it's gonna work out anymore and it's just like yeah okay fine at least I'll be able to collect unemployment right <laughs> like and I don't have to actually be here anymore this is perfect <laughs> right because you had reached a breaking point and so it's really bad yeah yes 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 and so to well, I, I love actually. So first of all, I also have to say you really are a tremendous storyteller, Eva. Like I have read <laughs> everything you've written and I love that even in the emails you send out and everything, there's a lot of you infused in that. Um, Thank you. But I remember being really struck by the way that you explained the story because you said you were willing to take a lot of different things. But when someone questioned your intellect, again, your parents had raised you to know you were smart. Yeah. And it was like, no, <laughs> yeah, no, you will not push me past this point. Yeah. That was actually something the doctor had said to me once. Really? Like, he called me into his office and I had like, I think I maybe like misspelled a word or, or something mm. just really small and insignificant, mm. you know, and, like given the stress I was under, it's like really not that big of a deal. Right. But it was just like, you've got a college education and it was just such a sorry, like eight, he was a total a-hole yeah. and it made me so mad because I, you know, I was used to tolerating stuff from that woman, but yeah. then to get it from him too, it's just like, seriously, like I'm breaking my back to keep your business right. running and like right. all your patients, like, right. Yeah. It was just awful. Right. They just had no idea. And so the fact that you ended up getting unemployment, you were able to do a big push with your blog at that point between mm -hmm. then and the page job. Yes. And that was really helpful too. Cause then my, I feel like my photography skills really increased pretty rapidly at that point. Cause I was just huh. like, Oh, this is the only thing I have to focus on right now. Cause I'm just applying to jobs and waiting to hear back. So I was able to like really, really, really focus on that. 
Well, I do think people will be curious about this. I didn't know that, that that's when you feel like your photography skills really improved. What do you think it was, you know, that made that growth exponential? It was, I think, just like the sheer amount of time that I had because you're going to learn so much faster the more you do something like you can't underestimate practicing. Right. And so I was so burnt out from doing such a menial and thankless job that I was like, okay, this is what I actually legitimately love doing. Yeah. So I'm just going to do it as much as I can. And so it was just diving in headfirst to like cooking and shooting and cooking and shooting, like, you know, Mm. almost every day. And it was so much fun. Mm. And I definitely, yeah, I just learned so much during that time, but I didn't take a course. I was just, well, at the time I was learning, there weren't any food photography courses because this was when was that? That was probably 2010. Yeah. Or you were a pioneer. <laughs> you are a pioneer. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, people were definitely already doing it for a long time at that point. It was a different yeah, type. Yeah. It was a different type. It was like, yeah, it was a different time as well. Just yeah, there weren't a lot of resources out there for mm-hmm. like, you know, shooting angles or food or anything like that. Mm-hmm. So it was just a lot of like struggling on my own. And it was a very, you know, frustrating experience, but mm. I did learn so much just by Mm -hmm. practicing it and trial and error over Mm -hmm. and over again. Yeah. That's interesting to hear because you describe it as such a vibrant time in your life. And to know that, again, I think it's instructive for all of us to know that frustration accompanied that vibrant time of learning and growth. The two are inseparable. They are. And I would, you know, choose being frustrated about something that I love doing over, you know, being like, mediocre about something I don't enjoy any day, (laughs) you know, (laughs) what a, what a great thought. Yeah. So I am going to ask something just sticking here for one minute. And then, and then (laughs) I do want to hear about the page program. You know, like I said, I do think that you're very much a pioneer in food photography and were you self, well, were you taking then the types of photos you take now, you know, things that are very full of produce, they're very much artistic and focused on the process. Did you see other photos like that in the world? Well, first of all, are those the types of photos you were taking then, or were you more mimicking what you saw in magazines? And were you like self-conscious that you were doing something that other people weren't doing? When I very, very, very first started out, I was trying to mimic Aaron Goyaga's uh, mm. style at the time, which was like super bright and like mm. really saturated pops of color. Really? Yeah. And that was huh. maybe like the first, like, I don't know, like six months of my blog, but it was really hard for me because I loved it when she did it, but I really hated it when I did it. And I Isn't just, that interesting. it was just not natural to me at all. It was like really difficult to style the the scenes and like take the photos. And I just Mm -hmm. wasn't happy with what I was doing, even though Mm -hmm. like I loved so much looking at her photos. Mm. Um, And so then I ended up, I don't know exactly when, but at some point I came across Katie Quinn Davies work. And so at that time, her blog was pretty active uh, called What Katie Ate. Mm. And she was like the pioneer of like the rustic moody food photography. I didn't know that. That's great for me to know. Okay. Oh, yeah. I would highly recommend going back and looking through her portfolio. It's really inspirational and Mm. yeah, her work's like so beautiful. Mm. So then I was, I felt like I was like, I found my people. I was like, this is exactly what I want to do. Like, it's so beautiful. And so that's when I started playing more with like darker scenes and like moody or rustic stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And that felt so much more like natural to me. Mm -hmm. And actually I enjoyed the photos that I took and liked them instead of feeling like, eh, this just isn't like right. So Mm -hmm. that was kind of like the evolution of that. But I've always, you know, my my parents were both avid gardeners. So grew up gardening a lot. I always love plants and I'm fascinated by like different varieties of things. Mm -hmm. And the neat thing about, you know, at that time I was living in LA because I grew up in Portland, but moved to LA for school and then lived there for a few years. There's a lot of different produce there because California grows. Yeah. California, the state of California grows like some insane amount, like, you know, 70% of the produce that's sold in the U S it's like, it's a farming agriculture state. So the farmer's markets there have so much amazing produce. And I just remember walking around, yeah. like you could, see, I bought dates once that hadn't yeah. been aged. They were like fresh green dates in a Really? Yeah. Like you could wow. find crazy stuff. So I just had a lot of fun buying whatever weird produce yes. I could find and like, well, what can I make with this? Just trying new stuff. Cause that was kind of the point of my blog at first was really uh, called adventures in cooking because uh-huh. it was really an adventure. Like everything yes. was like trying something new and like learning. And yeah. Um, so it was yeah. really about like finding really interesting produce. Um, That's and interesting. then I, think that just evolved over time into more seasonal cooking because it just came more about what, you know, what fresh Mm -hmm. produce is around and that's so seasonally based. Mm -hmm. I also think it's interesting because, I mean, you really are so masterful at showing the beauty of natural produce. And I'm thinking back to your parents' garden and their love of it. And I'm thinking you had, before you started taking pictures of it, you had spent many years admiring the intricacies and kind of falling in love with produce before you started to photograph it, which I also spec really contributed to that high learning curve. You knew what you liked. You knew the angles that you had seen in a garden at night, you know, as, as sunset. And you yeah. knew like, oh, this curve of a tomato was so beautiful. You know, you just, <laughs> you knew what you were looking for and you, then you just had to show it. I think you're hundred percent right. Cause mm. yeah, you just learn like the most beautiful times to be out in the garden and like the shapes of different produce mm. and also the way light refracts off of different vegetables mm. and fruits and their skin and yeah, you just learn to like appreciate all the little beautiful aspects of it, which mm-hmm. then you can really choose to highlight in a photograph later yeah. on. Yeah, that's again, I think it's instructive because it just shows how much study is. Um, you really have to study a subject before. I think you can take amazing photos of it. So definitely. Yeah. And I think that you were also connecting with some very deep and very happy memories. Um, yeah, I think so for sure too. Cause you mm-hmm. know, when I was living in LA, I definitely really missed that connection with earth that I had mm-hmm. back in Oregon. I mean, I always had gardens, even in LA on my apartment balconies, I grew tomatoes mm-hmm. and pots. And then we ended up living in a bungalow that had a tiny backyard. So I tried to grow like as much as I could. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was like still cultivating that, but it wasn't quite as, it wasn't the same as my parents' giant garden that you could mm-hmm. just like walk through rows of tomatoes and peppers. And it was like a submersive <laughs> experience. Mm, submersive experience. Yeah. What an amazing phrase. I like that. Yes. Mm. Okay. So we're kind of going back from, which is, so this is interesting because in your life, you do every day you go between the artistic and the business, which is what we're doing in the conversation here. So we're, we're going from like this artistic evolution to back to business. You knew that you loved what you were doing, but it still hadn't occurred to you as a career. Yeah. And you went back to being a page. So mm-hmm. was that your dream job? 
It was at the time, like getting into the page program was like a turning point for me because I really wanted to get in. I thought at the time that I wanted to get into producing. So, mm-hmm. you know, the producer is kind of like the manager of a production. You're like organizing everything. So I've always been mm-hmm. like a pretty organized person. Yeah. Um, so I was like, this is the job for me. And so when I got into the page program, I was like, well, here's your like golden ticket to like get into this very tight knit system that relies a lot on nepotism. So I was like, well, thank God I got in somehow because I don't know anyone else in this industry. Yes. Um, which does say, I think a lot about your talent and qualifications because you're right. You were probably you. like the one of 10 who made it in on those. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like really grateful and, mm. you know, worked as a page and that was so much fun. Like that was like one of the the most fun experiences. Was it, was it fun? Cause I I think, um, like, tell me what was fun about it. It was the other pages. That was what was fun. It was (laughs) like, yeah, it was like, it felt like a a summer camp for like creative (laughs) types. You know, we were all just in our twenties and like, liked all the same stuff. And yeah, you know, it, we got paid next to nothing. You know, we knew that it was, a. you know, we are at the bottom of the totem pole, right. but we were all in at least. So it was this feeling of we're going to go do something big. It was right. like a really great community. <laughs> Gosh, isn't there a time in American history that's called the decade of unbridled optimism or something like that? That's, <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly how it felt for sure. Yeah. And you were getting to be creative and you were getting to be organized and you were working with all these people and you had been kind of like released from the toxic environment you were in and you were with an amazing, amazing boss. Yeah. And I, yeah. So from the page program, that's when I started working for Pam. So I left the program and got like formally hired permanently. Mm. And so I worked for her and she's like the best, best ever. And then I ended up leaving that job because, you know, she knew I wanted to be a producer and she told me like, look, if you really do legitimately want to be a producer, you need to work as a producer's assistant, Um, which I thought was really sweet because I knew she would have liked for me to stay on as like for a long time, but she also wanted me to achieve what I told her I wanted to. So that was like, and yeah, that's where we go back to again, authentic kindness. She wasn't just telling you what she wanted to hear. So you would work harder. She was really looking out for you. Yeah, exactly. Mm. So I ended up like eventually leaving that job and got a job as a producer's assistant on a sitcom. And the mm. producer I worked for was pretty intense. And mm. which I is just probably felt, pretty common with the business. That was very common, you know, totally common yeah. in the entertainment industry. Like she was not anywhere as, you know, mm-hmm. cruel as the other boss that I had, but mm-hmm. it was like, I felt like no matter what I did, I was always wrong. You know, we'd get catering for lunch and stuff. And there was an instance where, you know, there's a specific salad she liked from this place. And she was on the soundstage, which is like on the other side of the lot from our offices. Mm. And then when she came back from the soundstage, all that salad had been eaten. And she was like mad about it. <laughs> As so if that was your day, fault. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. If she, she wasn't mad at me, but she was just like, prick. then the next time we got that catering, I was like, oh, well, I'm going to set aside a plate of the salad for her and leave it in her office yeah. so that I know she can have it. Mm. And then she got back from the sunset and she's like, why is this in here? Like stinking up my office, blah, blah, blah. I was like, okay. So literally no matter what I do, you're going to be unhappy. Cool. Uh, Okay. So it was just, I just think she was maybe like an unhappy person. Mm. Yeah. It was really hard to work for her. Long story short, it wasn't an enjoyable experience by any means. So that show eventually got canceled, which at the time I was like so stressed about. Because, you know, now I'm unemployed again, but 
at the time it was like a total blessing in disguise because after that I ended up getting a job. <laughs> I've had a lot of different jobs, but this mm-hmm. one that I ended up doing, I was an, an IT person. Really? Um, yeah. So I worked in IT for a year about. <laughs> the, the funny thing is though, because I was thinking about that job I had, that was another amazing company. Everyone was so nice. I was so lucky to be there. But the funny thing is what I started doing for them was like my intro to doing online teaching because I started building out for their site, like a support video site. So I'd start screen recording myself going through how to use the program and like talking about it. And that's what I do for my like Lightroom sessions now that I teach online. So it was really funny because I learned a lot about online teaching and how to help people learn from like a distance through doing tech support for that time. And then I ended up getting an offer to to do a cookbook. And that's when I ended up leaving that job so that I I was like, okay, I feel like, because, you know, I really financially conservative person, not like politically, but just like, yeah. I like to have savings, you know, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I want to be secure. You yeah. Know? Yeah. You want a cushion. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I especially think after being, having been unemployed so many times, I was like, yeah. I just don't want to be worried about money anymore. So yeah. Well, the um, entire industry that you were working on is it's, it's like a, you know, it's a sine wave curve. It's like the ebb and flow of employment and not just employment and unemployment, but you're in and you're out. Yeah. All the time type of business. So you would have seen for sure the necessity of having a little, a little cushion in the bank account. (laughs) Yeah. So I was like, I had been, so all through this time, I'd still been like shooting and writing and cooking all yeah. on the weekend. So it was like working full time and then doing my blog like all weekend long. And whenever I like had time when I got home from work. And so then when I finally got the cookbook offer and like the advance amount, I was like, okay, this is enough to where I can, I feel safe to make the leap to yeah. really do this food and photography thing full time. Wow. And that's when I ended up quitting my normal job and just dove Head first, head first into this. Yeah, that's well. Also, it says it says a lot about your energy level and your work ethic that you were able to build. I mean, to have a following big enough to get a cookbook offer is pretty incredible. While you were working full time at an yeah. intense set of jobs. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, I also feel like, you know, I was in my 20s. And I had yeah. like way more energy than I do now. Like there's no way I could do now what I was doing then. So it's just like that was the right time to work that hard. I would definitely not do that now. <laughs> well, and I appreciate you saying that too because I think that there's a lot about work-life balance right now and it and it mm-hmm. and it's and it's great and it's all true and it comes from highly successful people and they're like, "Here's how I do XYZ in this limited number of hours." And you know, it's like Yes, but all of you, I know my husband started a business. <laughs> no, I mean, let's be honest. No one really has work-life balance when they're starting. It, it, no. Like really, honestly, yeah. I, I think your growth is not going to be as meteoric if you have yeah. work-life balance. And there's times in your life that it's totally fine not to have it, you know? And, yeah, you know, so I, I appreciate you saying that. I think that's important to note also that your story is not going to look the same as anybody else's. Yeah. Your growth. And yeah. And I also feel like if I could go back and like 
changed some of the ways I did things. Now I feel like I'm so much more efficient about how mm-hmm. I use my time and better about listening to my gut about what projects are worth mm-hmm. diving into and which mm-hmm. aren't. I could have freed up a lot more of my time and mm-hmm. worked a lot less if I had been smarter about yes. the way I was working. But yeah. I was in the beginning. So I just didn't know, you know, and that's I the thing. Know. Well, yeah. How would you know that without the experience? Exactly. You know, you yeah. don't know what a bad client looks like until you've worked with <laughs> yeah. one. Yep. <laughs> And you can see the red flags from a mile away. (laughs) Exactly. That is so true. (laughs) As we talk about work ethic, and we've started talking about your mom early on, Mm -hmm. but I feel like as we talk about work ethic, this is really the perfect time to bring your parents into the conversation. Yeah. If that's okay. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about their story because your father, I think, was a Greek immigrant, but your mother was not. Yeah, my mom's American, so she's from Indiana originally, actually. (laughs) My mom was a teacher. She was like an elementary school and special ed teacher. And then she and my dad met here in Portland at an Irish pub on St. Patrick's Day. (laughs) (laughs) It's very funny. And then like the craziest part of their story is my dad got my mom's phone number and it was like in his pocket. And then after the bar, I guess he went to the grocery store to like pick up some things. And then he got home to like, call her and couldn't find the piece of paper and he was like oh shit I think it fell out of my pocket when I was at the grocery store to to check out and so he went back and he found it on the ground isn't that crazy so that's how they met and then you know my dad started his Greek deli Mm -hmm. and it started to get busier and busier so my mom ended up quitting teaching and just working full-time at the Mm -hmm. deli and you know obviously she was like the one who was like mostly raising us so she Mm -hmm. also had to deal with like three kids on top of working at the deli too so she was doing like a million things yeah yeah I was imagining this a little bit more as an immigrant story where maybe you got to hit the ground running like your option is to start a business but that's not really so much of your parents stories they had more options and this was a very free choice is that correct I would say say so. Yeah. I mean, my yeah. dad definitely came here without any money. Like mm. his family was very poor. Like he shared a bedroom with like all eight of his siblings and wow. like slept on mm. a bed with his sisters. Like, so he didn't come mm. here with like any money. But one thing he did have was my uncle who was already here that had and he had immigrated a few years before my dad came and I already, I think, had a house and like a wife and kids. So when my dad came, he didn't have to worry about like where to stay because he could stay. He stayed with my uncle for a while. Mm. And my uncle also helped him get a job at this like little tech company called Tektronics. Yeah. Um, so they were working there and then they saved up enough money to open a restaurant which was like their dream because mm-hmm. and I didn't really know this until recently because I've asked my dad more and more about it but he was the young one of the youngest kids and definitely the youngest boy so I think mm-hmm. my yaya had my grandma had him help her a lot with the more like some of the more maybe feminine tasks yeah. like mm-hmm. cooking mm-hmm. and you know helping her with laundry and stuff like that so mm-hmm. he learned to cook really well from her and just kind of the Greek personality and persona, my dad really embodies this, is where, like, nothing makes them happier than to feed other people. Mm. Like, they just love to feed people. Mm-hmm. And, like, they'll give you the shirt off their back mm. if they think it'll make you happy. Like, when you mm. go to 
an old Greek person's house, you have to be really careful not to compliment certain <laughs> objects because they'll just try to give it to you. <laughs> and it's really uncomfortable. And you're like, I don't need this. I don't need this embroidered cloth. I was just being oh. nice, but thank you. <laughs> and just, you know, Portland has a pretty good and solid Greek community because it's a mm. port city and a lot oh. of Greeks were merchant seamen. And that's how my uncle ended up immigrating here was they just docked here and he was like, this looks awesome. I'm going to stay. And then he Why just go anywhere else? That's so interesting. That's so interesting. Yeah. yeah. It sounds like you spent a lot of time in your parents' deli. And I think that yeah. that can be viewed as, again, I, I think that this is a classic story of second generation children and you're kind of only half second generation. Um, and I think that, you know, some people can see that as like a really, really beautiful gift, you know, and some people can see it as, you know, really a burden. I wasn't able to have a childhood because I had the like responsibility, the responsibility. Yeah. yeah. Of helping with this business. So tell me how you remember that. That's a really interesting question because I feel like I also look at it maybe differently than some of my mm. siblings do, even though yeah. I was the one who spent the most time there because mm -hmm. my sister and I, we get along great now, but we did fight a lot when we were younger. And mm. so it got as to the siblings point where, tend to do. Yeah. you know, as siblings do, because um, <laughs> my sister's like seven years older than me. So she would like okay. act like a second mom. And I was just like, oh, you okay. can't tell me what to do. You're not my mom. <laughs> and so then we'd always get into like kerfuffles about it. And so yeah. I ended up, I think it, one summer mom's like, well, I can't leave you guys home alone together. So Eva, you're going to just come to the deli with me and work every, every day when I'm uh, going in. So I just wow. worked, uh, a lot there. Which in um, and of itself is interesting because I feel like normally that burden would fall to the older child. Yeah. Well, I also had a little brother and so mm. someone had to also stay home with him and Got like, it. I, I wasn't old enough to babysit. So I think that's the reason. Yep. Okay. But honestly, like I didn't mind it. I really didn't. I, what I minded was when we were really little and would go in, ooh, I just didn't like being bored, you know, because we had our little kids table at the back of the restaurant where we would like sit and, you know, we'd bring coloring books and action figures and we'd like play, but I just didn't like sitting around for that long. So I think my least favorite thing was just the the sitting in the table. I'm just really yeah. like, ah, I just want to like do something. So like, I actually really loved working and helping out yeah. because it was something to do. Yeah. And, you know, I always just really enjoyed feeling like I was contributing to something. Yeah. Like I'm, I really wanted, you know, obviously as any kid, I wanted my parents approval. So I wanted to mm -hmm. like, you know, cut the cucumbers just like my dad wanted mm -hmm. or like, you know, do, you know, what, or like, you know, help with as many orders as I could, you know, so that my mom, it would help my mom. And so that was like, I, I didn't really have any tasks that I didn't, that I was like, oh, I hate doing this one yeah. task. I just hated being bored. That's yeah. what I really, yeah. really hated yeah. as a kid. Yeah. You were just a very motivated child and curious and a lot interested you and you were able to, you know, function at a high level. So why not produce something that other people would like and your parent would make your parents happy and would keep you occupied. Yeah. And I feel like my parents did a really good job too. Like I never felt like I missed out on my childhood because mm. like, you know, my mom was so nurturing and loving. And like when we were mm -hmm. home, she was, you know, being a teacher, she always had us doing fun, like craft projects and stuff. Mm -hmm. And then like at the deli felt like they were both really good about choosing tasks for us to help with that weren't like, you know, dangerous or too hard mm -hmm. for, you know, kids mm -hmm. or like really, it was like simple tasks that made us feel like we were being really helpful. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, were they so cooking? Can, were they cooking tasks? Sometimes, yeah, but not mm-hmm. really. Like my dad was would never let me use the grill, even when I was a teenager. And like legally, mm-hmm. I could have been. Um, he was like super defensive about the grill <laughs> like he was so particular you know like mm. with the restaurant everything had to be exactly right because the customer wanted to have their dish the exact same as the sure time came in the last sure. time you know yeah so consistency is really important mm-hmm. and my dad's a super duper perfectionist so uh, the things that I was allowed to help with were like you know cutting prepping cucumbers for Greek mm-hmm. salad gutting and uh, prepping the squid for calamari wow um, as a child yeah, probably. I, mean, I don't think I was doing that when I was like less than 10, but probably like, you know, 10 and older, um, like cutting those. It's not very, it's not really that hard. I mean, it's well, I was going to say, I've never is. done that. As- <laughs> they're pretty simple animals. Once you get like the, uh, their anatomy down, it's a pretty uh, easy task. <laughs> You've already made me more adventurous then. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about adventurous cooking. Your second cookbook was titled adventures in cooking. I also find it amazing that after working around food all day, it sounds like both of your parents love to be around food still in their free Mm -hmm. time, both between their garden and their cooking at home, which is very few people like to do the same thing in their downtime that they do in their work time. Did they love cooking that much? And did they embrace adventurous cooking on the weekends after having, you know, to do the same thing over and over again during the week? Yeah. My dad, you know, he didn't really cook as much at home because he was cooking all day. And But my mom was like the cook for the house. He would cook, mm-hmm. I think, sometimes on weekends, but definitely not on weekdays, but mm-hmm. did love the gardening aspect of it. And again, that's because, you know, my yaya and papu had a big garden in Greece and they kind of really lived off the land. Like they ate what they grew and they had rabbits and chickens and stuff. So that was just kind of the normal for my mm-hmm. dad. And then my mom, it's really funny with my mom because her mom was like a notoriously very bad cook. Like mm-hmm. she'd always tell mm-hmm. the stories about my grandma's food and it was just like not great. <laughs> but I also think that's probably why she learned to cook was because mm. she, I, I think she started cooking more for their family. She just loved it. Like it was just something that she really enjoyed and she was extremely good at. My dad, his cooking style's really precise for the restaurant, but my mom would just be able to make an amazing meal with whatever we she could find in our cupboards. Mm-hmm. Um and just really creative and low-key about it. And she always let me help her in the kitchen too. She'd pull up a chair when I was a kid and I could stand on the chair and help her stir mm. and add spices. Mm. Food was just like a huge part of our life and mm. my dad would have I'm sure he would have liked to cook more at home if he had more time, but he was working a lot of hours at yeah. the deli. So like during the week, he yeah. would leave the house at 6 a.m. and then not be home until like 10 p.m. So I actually wow. didn't see him as a kid unless it was the weekends. Yeah. But then there was an incident where someone came in and this was another thing that like shouldn't be done but just wasn't really thinking about it he was closing up alone at night one night and there was like an armed robbery situation and so he (laughs) sorry oh i'm so sorry it's just so silly because this happened so long ago that i don't know why it's oh (laughs) i feel real emotional just that you're so upset and i wish i was there and i could hug you oh i'm so sorry totally fine but anyway so he was shot he's totally fine we were so lucky 
he was recovered perfectly, totally, literally like no side effects from it. So by the grace of God, he was totally okay. Mm -hmm. But um, I think it was a wake up call for him about, you know, what his priorities were. And he was like working so hard to provide for us, but he wasn't physically there. So then after that, they changed the hours and he was home by like 7.30. And and then we switched so that my dad would come home like on Wednesdays instead of my mom so we could spend more time with him. Mm. And yeah, and I think it was just a good learning experience for me as a kid too to like some things that are more important than providing financially is providing emotionally for people Mm. too. Mm. So how old were you when all of that changed? I think it was just like a few days after my 11th birthday. Well, again, I'm so sorry. And I can also see how that made you and your sister feel differently because you still got a significant number of your formative years, you know, with your dad so close by your side. And it was like another thing I think that just made me really appreciate, you know, my family because you just never know what's going to happen. You just, and like, you know, I feel like you, we all feel the same about COVID. It just is like, wow, well, like, I'm so grateful for every day I get to spend with these people. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh my. Mm. Well, I think as I listen to you talk about your parents' business, it's just, I feel like there are so many parallels, you know, between your business and your parents. And I, I'm not sure which of these that I want to ask first, (laughs) (laughs) but it seems Uh, like there's kind of these four pillars, you know, to your business. And one is the kindness. And, you know, we've covered that. That really came from your mom. And again, thank you for your kindness to me and even offering (laughs) to do this and, you know, putting your name alongside mine. And, And then there's the creativity and the adventurousness and the, and that really seems to come, you know, from both of your parents. Third, you've talked a lot about this gift for systemizing and for being really efficient in your business. And I'm curious how much you think that came from your parents. I think it came as a result of the work ethic that I learned from my parents kind of forced me to have to be good at these other things because, you know, I love my parents so much, but they were definitely not a a healthy example of the amount of work that one person should take on. So I learned to work, just working yourself to the bone was normal. Mm. So that's really what I did. And so even at college, you know, I always had jobs all through college. And then like senior year, when I was working on my thesis, I had three other jobs and I was also editing someone else's thesis project. And just like, you know, I was really busy always. So I think to cope with the amount of stuff I had going on, I had to be really hyper organized. And so that was just something that I developed as like a coping mechanism, I think, for like what I had on my plate. Yeah. And now, you know, that I've gotten so much better about (laughs) saying no to projects and like Mm -hmm. just having a more healthy outlook on the amount of work that's appropriate to do. Yeah. Um, And, you know, what's enough for me. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's really helped with having these systems in place, allow me to kind of focus on the things that I really want to do and still have a lot of time for me and my family and just the fun things that I like to do, like knitting, which I took up this winter, yeah. which has been so fun. <laughs> I know, which is amazing. And, you know, starting a homestead. So what's yeah, we'll talk about homestead. in a second, but this is so interesting to me because 
I was, you know, I said, I feel like there's kind of four pillars to your business. And maybe you're like, I don't know where you're getting these four pillars from, Becky. I've never said this, but one is kindness. There's like the creativity and then there's this systemizing and efficiency. But I do feel like there is this fourth pillar, which is when I browse your feed and when I read your your emails and when I read your blog posts, everything that you do seems to be from your soul. (laughs) Do you know what I mean though? I mean, it just seems like there's nothing that you do just for the dollar. I've seen you promote products that you really like just because you like them and you weren't trying to get anything from it, you know? And Mm -hmm. I know that you are very (laughs) mindful about the projects that you take on. And I know that, you know, when you write, I was reading one of your posts the other day and like, there was such a depth of emotion in your writing, you know? And so I kind of soulfulness, I think it's what makes you so appealing to so many of us. There's just nothing fake. It's very authentic. My question is, was that a decision for you or are you just not able to do business in any other way? You know, there's a lot of advice out there that would have you run your business in a way that's just like you make your money doing your business and then you kind of live your passions and you keep the two of them very close together. Was that a conscious decision for you? I don't think, I don't think it was conscious. I think that was just the way that I did it and that felt right. I also am like a really highly empathetic person. And Mm. if I let someone down or if someone feels like, you know, swindled or whatever, like that really affects me on Mm. a deep emotional level, which is Mm. maybe unhealthy, but Mm. I wouldn't ever want to do something in a way that made someone feel bad. Um, Mm. And I think that's just a big part of the instinct of why I tend to work the way I do. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Is that something though that you've had to, I mean, <laughs> there are some people that that won't be happy no matter what. Is that yeah. something you've had to learn as a business owner, how to separate yourself a little bit? Hugely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you start to notice that over the years, like that boss that I had, you know, that mm-hmm. was a pretty good ex- learning experience for some of those flags of, you know, no matter how hard I work, I'm just not going to ever make her satisfied or yeah. like, she's always going to find something that to focus on that's bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, something that I've definitely gotten better and better at as, you know, I've worked more and worked with diff- lots of different people. You know, the, it's very true. There are some people that are just like, in a maybe in a bad place. And so they just want to take out their frustrations on something and you happen, yeah. <laughs> you happen to be there. Yeah. Yeah. So are you willing to talk a little bit about Jeremy and how you met him? Yeah, definitely. We met when I was 18. We went to the same college. And so we had this college orientation Mm -hmm. the summer before college started. And we were in that same orientation group. Yeah. And so we kind of like got to kind of know each other. And then when school actually started, um, we were both in the film program at LMU and that program was really small. They only admitted a hundred new students every year. So they had like a welcome gala thing for the film school. It was just like a little buffet really. (laughs) There was some music (laughs) playing in tables. And so I think he was already sitting at a table. Mm -hmm. And so I like got my little plate and then I recognized him from our groups and I sat down across from him and Mm -hmm. I just, I still can remember the look on his face of the head tilting. He was like a little bit shy, but like mm. also acknowledging that he like recognized me. And mm. we ended up just becoming really good friends that first mm. semester. And then that was that was it. So we've been together since 2006, I think, January. Wow. So, wow. Mm. 15, 15 years, right? Yeah, yeah 15 21? years. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Mm. Congratulations. Mm. So was it your decision together to buy this homestead 
Yeah, that's a really good question. I'm, I was definitely the driving force. And, you know, Jeremy is a really laid back person mm-hmm. and he is like, you know, he's happy with the house we have now, but he also like is happy to do what I, he knows that like would make me really happy. If yes. that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course. When you love somebody, you get excited to see them happy. Yeah. Yeah. And so like, I definitely wanted to get some land to eventually build a house and move out there and have more space because, you know, I really want to grow so many more plants than I can right now. (laughs) So (laughs) I wanted something that had a view of the river, which is a huge ask. It had to be the Columbia river. Yeah. The Columbia river gorge. Oh my word. Yeah. That's so beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like this huge, huge river that has like mountains on either side. So I think it's the only fjord in North America, I believe, is the Columbia River Gorge. It's just like this breathtaking scenery. So I wanted that view, but I also had like a really specific budget that I was working Mm -hmm. with. So that really limited the scope. (laughs) And then I wanted there to be a certain amount of acreage, five acres minimum. This is to fulfill the desire to grow. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Just like have some space Mm -hmm. to just run around outside. Mm -hmm. And like, you know, we want to have kids. And so, yeah. So then eventually in January of 2017, we were in Montana at his family's house for like Christmassy times. Mm -hmm. And I was looking on Zillow and just found this listing for like a really good deal. Look too good to be true. Yeah. Was, you're like, oh. this can't be. <laughs> so I like made, yeah. made an appointment for us to go see it when mm. we got back and we went there and, you know, the land that we bought was clear cut. They also have to replant as a part of that. So right. when they cut it down, they also replanted like 7,000 Douglas fir tree babies. Oh, okay. Yeah. So just imagining years ahead of time, once the trees grow back mm-hmm. and get bigger, what it could be. And so we put in our offer and got accepted and it was just like an amazing whirlwind and so grateful. That's it was, amazing. No bidding war, no negotiating. Nope, you just put in nope. an offer and it was accepted. Accepted right away. And the logging company was like, super chill about, we have a credit union. So it like took forever yeah. to get approved for the property loan, but yeah. they were like, oh, no rush. It's fine. You know, everything worked out. It's we're wonderful. so lucky. <laughs> I'm so, yeah. I, you know, and it's so interesting listening to your story, Eva, because from the very beginning, when you kind of got fired from a job, which gave you money to start the blog to like this, that it just worked out. Well, I think I just feel really encouraged listening to it because your work ethic is undeniable. Your vision and your commitment to authenticity, those are all undeniable. But at the same time, there's this sense to your story that you never really forced anything. You kept doing what you loved. You stayed true to your parameters, even with this land. And then when the time was right for these things, they just worked out. You know, you you didn't shop your cookbook to a thousand publishers. Someone approached you when you had just done this amazing work for long enough that it was ready. And, and even like you said about working for the tech nut company, and then that kind of gave you the skills you needed to do all these amazing workshops that you do for people. And, you know, it's interesting that yeah. there can be such a juxtaposition of working so hard, but yet not forcing. Yeah. And it is really weird when I think back on all the stuff that I have done and like jobs I've had and like all the journey and like I do feel like I learned so many skills from so many of those like weird experiences that Mm -hmm. might not seem immediately you know helpful at the Mm -hmm. time just life's crazy and you never know what what's going to happen and even if you end up doing a job that you're not really excited about at the time Mm -hmm. you never know what weird skill or just like a life experience Mm -hmm. you're going to take away from that that will help you down the road I just really appreciate that 
because I think that the more I kind of believe that and listeners believe that, the more we look for, okay, what can we learn from this instead of just gritting our teeth and trying to muscle through it? Yeah, exactly. I really appreciate that. So Eva, I know we're coming up on your time and time and I've enjoyed talking to you so much. And is there anything that you wanted to share that you want people to know about you or your story that you haven't shared? I guess just don't be afraid to put yourself out there and try new things and also just keep learning because I feel like a big part of what's gotten me to where I am was just like a deep sense of curiosity about Mm. the world and just really enjoying learning about new things or new cultures or going to new places. Just don't be afraid to take a chance and try something new because you just never know what you're going to learn. I really appreciate that. So just briefly tell people um, (laughs) all the things you (laughs) offer. You don't necessarily have to list a laundry list, but um, maybe kind of like the generalities of what people can learn from you if they're new to your work. Yeah, definitely. So I teach food photography, styling, and branding through my signature online course on Mm -hmm. firstweeat.co. That's also where I host in-person workshops once those actually happen again. If you know, you're interested in like next year or whatever, <laughs> that's where you can find it. That's also where I have my enrollment for me and B's virtual workshop. So mm-hmm. that's where you can find that and my presets as well. And mm-hmm. then for all my recipes, like seasonal cooking and, you know, homestead updates, I share those on my blog at adventuresincooking.com. Mm-hmm. And I'm on Instagram at Eva Cosmas Flores. Wonderful. And you have a, (laughs) I don't need to talk about your photography. Everybody knows how (laughs) you really are a master and a pioneer and those things. But also your storytelling, your writing is really, really, really beautiful. Oh, thank you, Becky. You're so sweet. You are welcome. And also you have two cookbooks that people should know about. Yes. Thank you for reminding me. I do. I have a cookbook called Adventures in Chicken. So that was the very first cookbook I wrote. And Mm. then my second cookbook is called First We Eat. And that one's all about seasonal recipes and seasonal cooking. Wonderful. Okay, Eva, thank you so much. No problem. Thank you for having me. This was so much fun. You know, it was my absolute honor. I hope you have a great class. I know you will. Thank you. <laughs> all right, take care. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you all so much for tuning in today. Of course, all of Eva's contact information is on my website, thestoriedrecipe.com, along with her pear pistachio pie, which we didn't discuss, but it is this complex heavenly combination of layers and textures and warm lovely spices like cardamom and cinnamon. We loved it so much that my oldest made it again just three days after I made it. Also, I did neglect to name the book we discussed at the beginning of the interview, which is How to Photograph Food by B. Lubis. Eva's interview begins on page 184 of that book and contains loads of helpful, insightful advice. Make sure you subscribe right now to hear just an incredibly profound and practical interview next week with Adrian Miller, the Soul Food Scholar. Adrian worked in the Clinton administration as an advisor for racial reconciliation. He considers himself a recovering attorney, and he's now written three books that are of my favorite genre, which is difficult to classify. Adrian calls them history books with recipes, as they discuss the development and definition of soul food. Another discusses the African-American cooks who worked in the White House kitchen. And his most recent book is all about Black contributions to barbecue culture. 
I am currently booked out through June and I'm just so thrilled with every single episode coming your way. So again, please make sure that you subscribe right now. Also, if you enjoyed this episode, please forward it to a friend or family member. And finally, thank you all so, so much who have left reviews over the last week. As a reminder, between now and the end of April, Podchaser is donating to Meals on Wheels America for every review left by you and every response left by me. So you can help the podcast grow which will share these beautiful stories of my guests with more and more listeners, all while also providing meals to those who cannot cook for themselves. So please head on over to, again, the link is in um, uh, thestoriedrecipe.com. Just go to these show notes and you can get it there. I do want to thank the three very, very generous and kind recent reviewers by sharing what they had to say about this podcast just in the last week. Crazy Becky said, (laughs) this is a different Becky, said Becky's podcast is one of my favorites. She shares intimate stories and asks all the right questions. She approaches each guest with the obvious goal of getting to know who they really are and to share their unique perspectives with the listeners. I'm so impressed. Ah, It's hard to read this. I'm so impressed by her humble and inquisitive nature. Every time I listen, I feel relaxed and like my horizons have been expanded. It's not every day you feel a sense of community and connection from listening to a podcast. Thank you, Becky, for this special gift. Thank you for such an incredible review. And also thank you, of course, always to my guests um, for making this podcast really what it is. Danae said, Becky is a very thoughtful person and always treats her guests with love and respect. I love listening to people's stories and it's really unique how Becky helps them unfold and share their stories with the listeners. It's definitely one of my favorite podcasts. That's great. Thank you so much, Danae, for your support. There is another one, but I'm not actually finding it in my screenshots folder right now. So I'll read it next week. Thank you all so much for your support. Please forward this episode on, hit the subscribe button and have a great week, my friends.